Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's been some time, but I have a bulletin in the back with some sermon notes in the back. If you'd like to take those, uh, they'll be on the back table. Uh, There's going to be one slide today that's going to have a lot of scripture on it, uh, a lot of scripture references on it that is going to tie into one of the points that we're making. So you might want that just to go home and read over and study. And I think Eric's grabbing some in the back. So if you would like one, uh, Eric's here, so you can just raise your hand if you don't have one, and he'll come bring it to you. i got Brother Charles over here, um, and then Miss Stephanie right there. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, as uh, I was planning for us to work through 1 Corinthians, God, this has probably been uh, a little over six months now, I was talking to one of my friends uh, who loves the Bible, loves Jesus, and we're talking about 1 Corinthians and about going into this book, and he said, oof, man, that's a tough one. There's a lot of challenging passages in 1 Corinthians, and we've, we've tackled a lot of challenging ones about meat sacrificed to idols in the temple, women wearing headdresses, uh, and today we get to what I think is probably one of the most challenging passages Uh, something that I have wrestled with on how to approach, and that is Paul and the Spirit and the people of God. We're going to get to uh, Paul here talking about gifts of prophecy and healing. And depending on the church tradition that you grew up in, the work and the role of the Spirit can vary greatly from denomination. You might ask questions like, What is my gift? Have the gifts ceased? Were they only for a specific time and age that's now over? When we get here, there are so many questions. So many questions about how the Spirit works among us today. And for a lot of us, it could bring in a lot of baggage for us. When I was 14 years old, I had my first Pentecostal experience. I was going to a church with my now brother-in-law to hear a friend sing a song or something. That much is lost on me. But what's not lost on me is what I experienced in the church service that day. Now, I had grown up at Southern Baptist all of my life. And in fact, I don't even think I'd gone to another church outside of Southern Baptist. And the move of the Spirit in Southern Baptist was like maybe a hand raise. Like you knew the Spirit was moving as somebody raised their hand in the church service. So what I had experienced in my context and setting, nothing had prepared me for what I was about to experience at 14 years old in that moment. So when the service started, and please hear me, this is not me making fun of this experience at all. This is just me relaying what I experienced. When the service started, uh, it was a blur. Instantly, the, the music starts playing and people start running up and down the aisles. There was somebody that was carrying a banner that was going around. There was this lady that came up on stage and she started speaking in tongues. Uh, I had never heard someone speak in tongues before. And she was saying that if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the spirit. And if you do not have the spirit, you are not saved. I had people coming up behind me, speaking over me, prophesying over me. And it freaked me out. And my brother-in-law, sensing this, he was like, maybe we should go. (laughs) So we got up and we left, and I I left there like wide-eyed. I did not know what had just happened. And so what do you do when something of a different tradition or a different experience 
kind of butts up against your own. You go and you research it. Like you go to the scriptures and you look at it. You want to know why do they practice this way? Why do I practice this way? Am I wrong? Are they wrong? What is it? So much so that a few years later, um, probably about five years later when I was 18 or 19, uh, I was asked to help lead worship for this Bible study uh, amongst a small group of friends that was happening at Louisiana College. And so they were my friends, and I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And so I had the guitar and all the equipment we go and set up, and we're, we're playing a couple of songs, and then much like that experience that happened when I was 14, it, another experience like that started happening where people were started to like just move in ways that I was not expecting. I had, there was this one person that came up to the stage, and she was praying and saying that the Lord's presence is, is right here, like right in this spot. And if you come and pray in this spot, your prayer will be answered. And I was prepared at that point to say, no, this isn't for me. So I put down my guitar, I walked out, I sat out there for an hour and I opened the door back in. They were still going at it. So I, I shut the door. I left. I texted them and said, hey, just pick up my equipment. Uh, I'll get it from you later. How should we understand the work of the Spirit in our lives? Is, does the Spirit operate and work in that way? Is the Spirit among us today as, as we sing and pray? What is, what, how should we understand this? And as we come to this passage... There's so much that we would have to see. You, you see the abuses of te televangelists and healing ministries that have led people astray for a dollar. You can turn it on and people will say, if you send me money, we, you will be healed. You have these ministers or so-called ministers that will call people up and slay people in the spirit. What does that mean? What are we doing here? And so when we get to this passage with 1 Corinthians and chapter 12 and Paul, I can imagine that if you've had any wonderings about this at all, these are going to be questions that you have in your mind. What does this mean for the Spirit to be active among us? So before we can even start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, what Paul is going to be here in Romans 12 and 13 and 14, we must understand the role of the Spirit. And hopefully when we understand the role of the Spirit, we will be able to better understand the work and the gifts of the Spirit. So imagine us today, we're just really going to slow down here, and over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at these three things. The role of the Spirit in our salvation, the work of the Spirit in our lives, and the gift of the Spirit to believers. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to work through this question today. What is the role of the Spirit in our salvation? Is the Spirit among us today? And so if you have your Bible with you, we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Paul says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In the late 8th century, I think I have a picture of King Charlemagne. 
He was the king of the Franks. He became a Christian through his, and through his persuasion, through his persuasion, the whole Frankish nation became Christians and they were baptized in mass. So the question is, were all those people that were baptized, were they saved? Or consider Catholics who have this practice of infant baptism, that they're baptized as an infant. Is that child saved? Or consider maybe as you were growing up in church, maybe uh, you were a young believer, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, whatever, and you felt the Lord calling you to salvation, and you go to the minister, and he says, yes, let's go get baptized, and then all of a sudden, like, three of your buddies want to go get baptized with you because they see you doing it. Are your friends saved? Now, these are questions in part, mostly in part, that only God can answer. Only, only the Lord knows the heart of man. However, we can say that this type of conversion is outside of the New Testament frame of reference. What the evidence that Paul will point to in his letters is the evidence of the Spirit in a person's life. How do you know that the Spirit is at work in your life? How do you know that you have the Spirit? Can you confidently say that you've been living by the Spirit? For Paul, if we read through his letters, he will say that the believer will see evidence in his life of the Spirit if they are in Christ Jesus. So first question, have we understood the gospel and what has our response been? Let me back us up to 1 Corinthians 1 and then chapter 2 to understand how Paul has been working this argument with the Spirit in our lives. Starting in chapter 1, verses 21, he says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness as what has been preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Here Paul is outlining the message of the gospel, Christ crucified. How does God redeem the world? Christ crucified. Chapter 2, verses 16 through 15, Paul continues about this message of wisdom, saying this, we do, however... Speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now let's pause here. What has Paul earlier said is God's wisdom? Christ crucified. So we declare God's wisdom, which is Christ crucified, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. And these things, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
What Paul is describing here is not some obscure secret or wisdom that has been revealed by the Spirit, but rather that the Spirit reveals Christ crucified so that we may understand. Consider what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. I don't know if I have it up here, but I'll read it for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says this. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message even in the midst of severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. So there are two things at work here when we hear the gospel and believe it. The two things that are at work as the gospel is being preached and the Spirit is convicting us to believe. That the gospel is being preached and the Spirit reveals to us to believe. And this is exactly what Paul says in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. How do you know if the Spirit, if you've experienced the Spirit, how do you know if the Spirit is among you and living in you? Paul says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So here's the comforting thing, that you, to understand the gospel, the Spirit must do a work in you. And for you to believe in the gospel and follow the gospel, it must be the Spirit that does a work in you, and you cannot say that Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit revealing this to you. This should be deeply comforting for us, that the Spirit is at work in you. Now, I've met multiple people that have told me that I'm not saved and that I've not received the Spirit if I've not spoken in tongues, but Paul doesn't say that. Nowhere does Paul say that. Paul says clearly and explicitly here that knowing and seeing the evidence of the Spirit in your life is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, and that's by the power of the Spirit in you. If you are a believer today, if you've placed your faith and hope and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's by the Spirit's work in you. The Spirit is in you. Only by the Spirit are we able to understand what God has freely given us in Christ Jesus. In verse 13, it says that God in his own wisdom had chosen to redeem our fallen race through the crucifixion of Christ. Not by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. This is not an obscure secret, but the content of the gospel. You see, the gospel at its profoundest point stands in utter contradiction to human wisdom. God has redeemed our fallen race with the ultimate contradiction, a crucified Savior. How do we understand this? How do we believe this? How do we hope in this? It's by the work of the Spirit. So what are the other roles of the Spirit in the believer? If you have your bulletin, it's on the back here. I'm just going to read quickly through some verses here. It's also going to be on the screen. What are the roles of the Spirit in the believer? The Spirit as a person. The Spirit searches all things. The Spirit knows the mind of God. Who can know the mind of God? The Spirit knows the mind of God. The Spirit teaches the gospel. The Spirit dwells among and within believers. The Spirit gives life to those who believe. The Spirit cries out from within our hearts. The Spirit leads us in the ways of God. The Spirit bears witness with our own spirit. 
The Spirit desires that we live in opposition to the flesh. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit works all things together, and the Spirit is grieved by our sinfulness. You see, when we limit the role of the Spirit to only gifts that we see here in chapter 12, like prophecy or tongues, and that's our only expectation of what the Spirit looks like in our lives, we have severely severely limited the activity and the role and the function of the Spirit as laid out in the Scriptures. What's the role of the Spirit in the Christian's life? 2 Thessalonians 2.23, 1 Corinthians 6.11, Romans 15.6, that the Spirit is at work in conversion and sanctifying work. What's it look like for the Spirit to be in your life? We just read it in 1 Thessalonians 1.6 that there is joy in the midst of suffering as a work of the Spirit. Revelation comes by the Spirit. By the Spirit, the Romans are to put to death any sinful practices. The Ephesians are strengthened by the Spirit. Believers are to serve by the Spirit, love by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, and walk and live by the Spirit. The Spirit is all throughout Scripture. And we do a really good job of, of preaching Jesus and the love of the Father as seen through the Son, but we need to see here explicitly and consistently and all throughout the Scriptures that the role of the Spirit is active and present in our lives. And there is no indication that any of these things have ceased. There's no indication that the, the work of the Spirit to convict of sin, to bear witness to our spirit, to intercede on our behalf, to work all things together, to grieve over our sin, to cry out to our hearts, to dwell among believers. There's no indication in Scripture anywhere that these activities of the Spirit have ceased. So what we must not do is take these experiences like I had when I was 14 or 18 years old. What it would be tempting for me is to just swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and say, no, that's totally out of bounds. It's totally false. Everything I need to know is in the scripture and I don't need the spirit because I can just understand it by logic. But scripture tells us that it's only by the spirit that we're able to understand these things. And isn't that a wonderful thing to know that we have been sealed, that we are safe, that we are secure in Christ Jesus because of the Spirit. And this list that I've given us here today, this, this list e isn't even exhaustive. To miss the role of the Spirit in your salvation is to miss His work in your life. The Spirit is active within us and among us, and so many times, and this is a confession for me, so many times in, in my life I have expected or just wanted the work of the Spirit to only be present in healing, or to only be present when I'm suffering, or to only be present when I want him to convict someone else. But so much of the activity and the role of the Spirit is in our lives and in the church and how we love, serve, breathe, and move. The Spirit is among us and within us. So let us then... Rejoice in the work of the Spirit in our life. If the Spirit reveals all things, if the Spirit convicts us to things, then how should this shape every moment of our lives to know that God is with us? In John 14, Jesus prays that it's, or tells his disciples that it's better for him to go so that he can send the advocate. Man, what if we lived like that? What if we lived like it was beneficial for the Spirit to be with us? And we lived every moment of our lives seeking out the Spirit, a member of the Trinity, 
to be with us, to be among us in this congregation, in our lives, to help us in our suffering, to understand the gospel, to walk in love, to be filled with love and power as we speak to our lost friends and neighbors, as we encourage and seek the good of our neighbor, as we come to church together to do this well. Surely the reality that God is personally present with us in our spirit should encourage us through our present life and in our weakness and in our suffering. And I believe that so many times like we might not realize this, we might not realize the activity of the Spirit in our life because we have limited the Spirit's role to maybe only healing or something miraculous when Scripture is exhaustive on the other side of the work in your life. And you know what so many times my life is distracted by? Is this. Like, today, you've probably gotten a notification that has told you how much screen time you've spent on your phone. I think I read a stat this week that 16-year-olds spend an hour, average of nine hours a day on their phone. Uh, friends, like, we humble ourselves before the Lord and we look for his wisdom and his guidance by his spirit. And so much of our lives are distracted, disconnected, or content in what we can fill our minds with quickly. Surely, the reality of God being personally present with us should encourage us. I heard a story this week of a man that was dying uh, of cancer in a hospital. His body riddled with it. He was in a lot of pain, but every nurse that came in always said that he was playing Christian music and every person that came in, took it, he took it as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Here's a man that is dying in pain, but every person that comes in, he is so fully present with the spirit that he's fully present with them to share the gospel with them. There was a new nurse that came in uh, who had not met this man before and on her chart for this man, she wrote, Mr. Clark is inappropriately joyful. She did not understand how this man could be facing death with this much joy. How is it? It's only by the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, that through our suffering, the Spirit gives us joy. The Spirit is active among us. I heard a similar story of a man who was in the hospital with a tumor on his spine. And he was someone that uh, did not believe that the gifts of the Spirit had ceased. He professed the gifts of healing as being among, active among us today. He deeply believed that he would be healed, and he de deeply desired to be healed. He would have friends come over and pray for him, pray over him, and pray for healing. And this story is coming from a man that went to go pray with him, and he said every, every person that went into this room walked in nervous because it was not, it did not look good. Like this man was going to die. And so what do you say? How do you comfort someone that is, is facing death but expecting healing? What, what do you do with that? And he said, every person that left that hospital room left encouraged with the infectious joy he had in Christ. This man did not know if he would or would not be healed, but he did know that he was completely secure in Christ Jesus and that he would be with him if he was not healed. This is the work 
of the Spirit. In the gospel, at its profoundest point, again, it stands in utter contradiction to human wisdom. God has redeemed our fallen race by the means of the ultimate contradiction, the crucified Messiah. The Spirit is active in our salvation. John 14, Jesus, what I just quoted earlier, says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what are the two things that we, we namely see here that Jesus says that the role the Spirit is going to be in our lives, that he's going to teach and remind us of what Jesus has done for us. That he's going to teach and remind us of the gospel that we've heard, that we clearly understand it. And that, with that, he is going to give us peace that Jesus sends the Spirit to teach us all things and to give us peace by his Spirit. Jesus says this in John 17. In his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those who, have given, who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The gospel is this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption of Christ Jesus. You are separated from the love and the mercy of God because of our sinfulness, but because of God and his great and good mercy for us, he presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to be the just and justifier of our faith. So here's the deal. For the gospel, for you to enter into eternal life, do you trust in faith that Jesus is enough for your sin? Do you trust that in faith, no matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, that Jesus is for you, that he has redeemed you by his blood, that his sacrifice is enough for you? If you trust in Jesus by faith, you will be saved. And to understand this and to believe this and hope in this is evidence of the Spirit in your life. Paul says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the love of the Spirit, except by the Spirit. I want to close uh, with Paul's uh, ending in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Here we see the Trinity at work, and here's how Paul closes his letter. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For the love of God is the foundation of Paul's view of salvation. For Paul, the love of God was no mere abstraction. God's love, the most essential reality about his character, was demonstrated historically through Christ's death for his enemies. But such love is not merely an objective historical event. It is the presence of the Spirit as an experienced reality in the heart of the believer. The death of Christ is not merely a historical event, and it's an experienced, lived reality in the presence of his spirit. If you believe this, if you hope in this, if you have peace in this, this is evidence of the spirit in your life.
Second, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what gives a concrete expression to that love through Christ's suffering and death on behalf of humanity. God accomplished salvation for all who will believe at one moment in history through Jesus. And the participation of the Holy Spirit continually makes that love and grace real in the life of the believer and the community. We must not forget salvation comes to the individual, but this salvation brings you into the body of believers, the temple of the living God. You see, what we do in church matters. If you have not felt Christ's love for you, uh, if you, but you believe in the gospel, you trust in him for salvation, but you, you're having a tough time feeling his peace or his love, I would ask you this, have you pushed into his community? Are you a part of the believers where his spirit dwells? I read um, this pastor that was saying something to the extent of, you cannot do church apart from the body of believers. You cannot do church at home. It would be like celebrating a wedding and watching it online. It'd be like having your gift at home, eating some cake at home, but you're not participating with the wedding guests and the bride and the groom. You are not actively participating in this. For us as a church, we gather together to love one another, pray over one another, serve one another. So if you've not felt the love of Christ or the presence of a spirit, the question would be, have you withdrawn from community? Are you with the church? Does the church know you? Can they encourage you, pray over you, be like Christ among you as we love and serve with you? You see, when I look back at my life, and if I encourage you to do the same thing, you will be able to identify the work of the Spirit in your life through the role of other believers. I think of Bill and Brenda Smith as they poured into my life as a six-year-old at New Prospect Baptist Church. I think of Mary Ann Brunson, who led children's activities at uh, New Prospect. I think of J.R. Lee. I think of the youth directors that have come uh, to me when I was younger. I think of when we went to Pineville Christian Church and Bill Anderson, who poured into my life to let me know the love of God for me. I think of the godly friends that, that Jesus gave me in college, Justin, Andrew, Cameron, Garrett, who have loved me, served me, prayed for me, been with me. I think of men that he's put in my life, Eric and Brandon. I think of professors that he's put in my, my, my life, Dr. Quarles, Jason Meyer, Jason Hiles. And these men have all played collective roles. These men and women have all played collective roles of encouraging me and pushing me. How? Because it's the work of the Spirit among us. We must see how the Spirit is active among us. So as we continue on in 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks, and we have, we're going to have questions, we're going to talk about these questions about the working of the Spirit through gifts and things like that. Let us not swing the pendulum to say the Spirit is inactive in our life. No, the Spirit is very active in our life as believers. And I pray today that if you have not come to faith in Christ Jesus, that today would be that day. That today would be that day that the Spirit is convicting you to say that you have been separated from me and you will not experience eternal life unless you profess that I am Lord and come under my Lordship. They believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So I pray that the Spirit do a work among you. I pray that the Spirit open your eyes to see. And if that be the case, man, come talk to me.